Good morning. Our first scripture reading today is Colossians 3, 12 through 8, uh, 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our next scripture reading is Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they re- started to return, The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said unto him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. I want to, uh, before I get started, I want to thank everyone who put effort and uh, helped out with the uh, memorial service yesterday. We had a wonderful celebration of uh, Courtney Huntsman's life uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, Pastor Ellis was uh, there doing the heavy lifting on officiating, and uh, we had a lot of folks pitching in to help put on a nice dinner. And we used to invite you to continue to pray for the Huntsman family as uh, they adjust to all of that. Um, So here we have a great story about Jesus in his early adolescence taken off uh, and leaving his parents behind to fret and worry, or really, actually, I guess they left him behind, right? You ever done this, parents? I won't make you admit it, but <laughs> leaving, uh, leaving the kid. But they left, they were a day away, and it's because they all travel in these big, giant caravans, and they thought Jesus was, you know, back with the other teenagers uh, doing stuff, but... Uh, didn't come mealtime when he didn't show up they started to worry and it took him three days to look around and i can tell you why 
It took them three days because the last place they would ever think to look for a 12-year-old boy who's lost is at church. (laughs) That is the last place I would look for my children if they got lost is church. But that's where Jesus was. Jesus had been spending his days in church uh, high, you know, getting away from his parents about his father. And he was sitting at the feet of the masters, listening to the rabbis, listening to the Pharisees, listening to the scribes talk about the law, talk about the kingdom of God, talk about God. And he asked such great questions that they were amazed. But here we find him learning and being taught in in the temple, but that was their version of church, right? <laughs> Going and listening at Sunday school, or in this case, probably Saturday school or something like that. And yet, you know what astonishes me? When I first read this, I thought, and yet Jesus, by the time he becomes an adult, he is the leader of a huge anti-temple movement that leads ultimately to an entirely new sectarian religion which we call Christianity, that broke away from the Jewish traditions and from the temple worship that was going on at this time. And it, it begs the question, it makes one wonder about all of that. In his adulthood, Jesus comes to the temple again, and this time he begins to throw things around and declares that they have turned this house of prayer, this father's house of prayer into a den of thieves and the gospels are full of jesus's condemnations of the very rabbis and scribes whose feet he sat at when he was just a little boy pointing out their hypocrisy and delegitimizing their claims of authority one has to wonder what happened what happened there between 12 and 30 that caused Jesus to see the church as a bigger problem than it was a solution? What caused Him to condemn the church that nurtured Him in His own faith growing up? Of course, the Gospel writers point to many of the issues, corruption and hypocrisy among the Jewish aristocracy who ran the temple, not to mention their allegiances to the Roman authorities who oppressed the Jewish people, how they had become just patsies and pawn for the Roman leadership. In addition to all of this, Jesus points out how the law of Moses and the structure of Jewish religious life had become a barrier to people and their relationship to God, and how it was manipulated by the leaders in order to keep the low people low and the high people high. And it seems that by the time Jesus hit 30, he'd had enough of that. You know, Martin Luther felt the same way when he began his Reformation, as did the English Reformers, out of which the Baptist movement, a community born out of the conviction that we're just not doing it right. (laughs) So too did a young adolescent in the 80s, about age 17, when I knew everything back then. I miss that. I miss knowing everything. It was... It was a good time. I remember sitting in church, listening to some preacher whose name I won't mention, 
prattle on and on about nothing and thinking to myself, heck, I could do better than that. And eventually deciding, well, I'd give it a shot. I better shut up or put up, right? (laughs) No doubt many of you also seeing the many sins of the church and experiencing them perhaps firsthand walked away vowing never to return. Some of you probably wonder what you're doing here now and how that happened. How did I get back in church? Some of you, I'm sure, have been harmed and hurt and scarred by the church. And I have to think that Jesus also felt hurt by the direction His own faith had taken and by the abuses of the church of His time to the point that He was filled with a righteous indignation that brought Him to the temple and caused him to turn over the tables and declare it null and void, all the things that were going on there. Phyllis Tickle, who's a founding editor of the religious section of Publishers Weekly and a Eucharistic minister of the Episcopal Church and a great author, says that about every 500 years, the church cleans house and has a, some kind of reform go happen. And uh, of some sort. And she observes that we are in such a time of transformation right now. And I got to tell you, is, as a leader in the church, it rings true. Every possible statistical analysis of the religious landscape shows that people are leaving church now more than ever in America's history, probably in history all together. And yet I'm here to tell you today that I am hopeful. In fact, I see this as a positive thing. Jesus didn't throw out faith. Jesus didn't just walk away and say this is not worth salvaging. Jesus didn't just tear it all up and then leave and brood in the wilderness. He reminded the world that God was too big for any religion or any one label or any one people or any one culture. And He broke it open so that people could experience God's love and God's grace anew. He got us back to the core of what it was really all about. He got us back to what the law was intending to do. He got us back to that relationship with God that had been lost in all the laws and all the commentary and all the ways in which religiosity was used to oppress people. He said, enough of that. It's time to get back to God's love. Amen? Amen. So too, Luther and other reformers of his day sought to get back what was at the heart of Christianity. And today, the only hope for the future of religion is if we continually hold ourselves to that which is truly at the heart of what it is to follow Christ. Love God, love others, and yourself. It's not difficult And it was there all along. Jesus didn't make that up. He's quoting Deuteronomy. (laughs) Love God. Love others as yourself. It's not that hard. And the church, why it's supposed to be something that helps us do that. And yet, 
to say that you're religious is not a very positive thing these days, isn't it? In fact, we don't, we, we'd rather not describe ourselves that way because it has a negative connotation. We say we're spiritual or we're, you know, we're church attenders or something. I, I mean, we come up with anything but religious, right? We don't say I'm religious. In fact, I was getting, I was at the hair place yesterday that, and you know, all, you all know Valerie Hale. And she was cajoling someone into trying to come to church uh, at the beauty parlor. And I happened to be there. And the woman looked at me and says, well, I'm really not that religious. To which Valerie and I both replied, neither are we, really. <laughs> You'll fit right in. <laughs> come on, try it out. <laughs> the church is supposed to be, religiosity is supposed to be something that helps us love God and love each other. Amen? And when it fails to do that, when the church fails to do that, it's time for a reformation. It's time to reform what we're doing. It's time to tear it back down and build it back up. But never to lose heart, never to lose hold of that core thing. Love God. Love others. We've got to hang on to that. And Paul, Paul was great. You know, Jesus spoke in ideals, right? Jesus had the luxury of being able to talk about high ideals and all this, and then left Paul, and then he left. Paul, left Paul to come up with the real, to solve the real practical problems. Paul had real churches he had to pull together and, and give them hope. So Paul, who took the ideas of, uh, of church and helped form communities around them, knows the practical issues of church. And he offers us some practical advice as we seek to be true to our faith in Christ together in the epistle that we read today. Let me go back to it here. And it says this. It says, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Right? Above all, close yourself with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed we were called into one body, into unity. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Paul is telling us exactly how to love God and love others. And how to be religious. <laughs> how to be in community together. And how to make this community thing, this church thing, this ekklesia in Greek, how to make it really help us walk that way of Christ. Because that's what it's here for. It's here to help. And more than any other activity in the church, more than any of our programs or any of our worship, more than our wonderful choir or our music, more than our beautiful building or the great food we put together, which is great, 
It is good food. And what will help this community not only survive, but thrive in the emerging reformation I'm talking about is if we are able to heed the advice of Paul and live with each other in ways that glorify Christ. And if we are able to sharpen one another. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If we as a church can sharpen one another and help each other learn how to love God and love others, that will, make, that will bring us into the future. We will weather the Reformation. And we will be here and be stronger and be blessed and be a blessing to others as we are able to heed this advice from Paul and live together in harmony. If we're at, you know, and the, the way we can do it is to, to help each other out with this. Right? We get to test, it, test out our abilities to love one another here in this loving community where there's trust, where it's safe, where we're allowed to mess up and forgive each other. Amen? Isn't that great? You know, out there in the real world, you, you mess up a little bit and, and they'll cut you off or they'll, you know, you're fired or, or whatever. Around here, right, you hurt my feelings, you get to come and say you're sorry and I get to say, well, I forgive you. Isn't that a blessing? We get to, we get to test it out, work it out here among each other because in spite of how different we all are, we have each experienced New life in Christ. Amen? New life in our love of God and our love from God. And something new has happened within us that transcends all the things that make us different from one another. And we forgive each other because there's something special in the community, in the church. Those of you who aren't sure why you're here, I'll tell you why you're here because there's just something special about being together, about being bound one to another, about having a sacred place where godly things are lifted up even when we're not godly ourselves. (laughs) And where we're allowed to stumble a little bit and there's always someone there to help pick you back up and say, that's all right. you know what? I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you out. And you can help me when I stumble too. I think that's what Jesus was frustrated with as the church of His childhood had forgotten that. My ultimate point is this, is that Jesus grew up loving the church. And when it ceased to be that thing He loved, He called her back to what was important. Life in love with God and life in love with others. We, First Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, we can also be a beacon calling the church back to her roots of love of God and love of others. Because I have experienced that here. I know many of you have experienced that here. And there's a lot of people finding their way here to experience that anew. And we've got a story to tell. And we've got a whole city of people yet to love. And to show God's love to.
We have a calling and a purpose. And this is it. And we can do it better together than we can apart. And as we are faithful in this, what we love of the church will not only survive into the future, but will blossom and grow and become something wonderful. And so as we go into this new year, it is my prayer that we will hold Paul's advice in our hearts as we work together to be the body of Christ that is living out the good news of Christ, doing everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you know what? We love the church. There's something about it that draws us here. Help us to make sure to hold the core of what church is about. Helping people love You and love each other. May we always hold that out in front of us. Allowing You to shape who we are as a community even as we allow You to shape us as individuals. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.